Good morning, everybody. Ah, is that coming down? There we go. It's better. It's good to be with you all. Um, I am so incredibly grateful to be able to be here. If you're just uh, joining us, my name is Dean Barham, and I am uh, honored to be the lead minister of the congregation here at A&M. Um, if you're new here, we are still relatively new, and so welcome to you. Um, we're excited to be in this place. We've been here since January, but this weekend is a special weekend for us and our family because it was exactly a year ago on this day that we first visited with you. Most of you didn't know it. We were hiding up in the balcony, um, but it was wonderful to be here. And, uh, and we'll be honest, we, we, a big part of what we did just to kind of kick off that weekend is exactly what we did this weekend, and that was to go to the home opener of the Aggie game. And I just want it on record that we won both games. That I just, 2-0 <laughs> and o when I'm there. I just want you to know. It was actually funny. I was thinking about this, that uh, this, this actually feeds into where we're going with the sermon. But we're, we're at the game yesterday, and uh, uh, one, one of our friends in town, you'll get a chance to meet him in a moment. But uh, our boys are sitting there, and, and I saw, the only way I can describe it is, is the biggest pretzel I've ever seen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The, it, this, it was like it's the size of a cafeteria tray, and people are walking around. And so the moment we saw it, purpose arose in our hearts. We had to, to go and get this. So we're asking people, like, where is this? Where do we get this? I'm not kidding. We bought this um, enormous pretzel. I didn't get two steps away from the counter, and some lady stopped me and took a picture of it. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to send that to my daughter. I don't know what the caption is like, gluttony or heart disease. I don't know what it was. But it was, it was cool. But again, another 10 steps, two college students said, where is that? I want that. We were talking about purpose. That was not part of the introduction. It just kind of seemed to fit. Uh, I, want, I want us to think about today, but really for the, for the next few weeks, it's a good time at the beginning of a new semester, beginning of a new ministry year to think about why is it we are here. What is it that God has put us on the planet for? And will that purpose or vision that we have for our lives, will it sustain us for our journey? So we're going to look at that. I want to begin just by reading the text we're going to be looking at. Really, the purpose comes from the Great Commission. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, but this is a, I put it as Paul's personalized Great Commission. So in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read this text, Colossians 1. Um, starting in verse 24. I'm really going to focus on verse 28 and 29, but I'm going to give you the sense of the whole context uh, of the passage here. Uh, there's another reason I picked this one. It just seemed to fit. It is Labor Day, and Paul will talk about what is worth laboring for. So it was a fitting day for us to think about this passage. So if you have your Bibles, we're Colossians 1, starting verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can we turn that feedback down, please, a little bit? Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end I labor with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as the psalmist did so long ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Again, I I think as we begin a new ministry year, I think it's helpful to just keep asking ourselves this question. What is it in life that is worth striving for? What is it that's worth wrestling for, fighting for, contending for, to, to pour our energy into? I remember it's been a few years ago now, but I have a a good friend of mine who is a philosophy professor at Vanderbilt in Nashville. We were living there at the time, and he invited me to come and, and be a guest lecturer in a class that he had on religion in the public sphere, so like religion and government and that kind of thing. And so I came in to teach this class, and, and I wanted to start just by getting to know the students that were there in the room, and I had them go around, and I said, tell me your dream, like your life dream, if things worked out like exactly the way you would want it to be, what is your dream? And I'll never forget the guy in the back right of the room, when it came to him, he said, here's my goal. He was 20 at the time. He said, here's my goal. My dream is that I can make so much money, I'll retire when I'm 30 and buy an island. (laughs) I guess aim high to some degree, but that was his vision. And here's the thing. We walked out. My friend Caleb is the professor. He said, here's the crazy thing. He might actually do it. He's got the drive, he's got the background, he's got the resources in his life. He might actually do it. And and look, there's nothing wrong with making money, but everything in me wanted to say to him, please aim higher. Can, Can you have a vision for your life, striving for something in your life that will satisfy you more deeply than that? Because I've been around a lot of folks towards the end of their life. I've never heard anybody say as they're approaching their final days, you know what, I wish I had made enough money to retire when I was 30 and bought an island. I've never heard anybody say that. But I've heard all sorts of people say, I wish I had invested my life in something that mattered beyond me. I've heard a lot of people say that. Here's one of the things, many things that I love about Jesus is he doesn't keep us in the dark about certain things that are really important. He lets us know what's worth striving for in our lives. Like I said, we we get Jesus's statement of it, at least one of them, in this thing we call the Great Commission. I'm sure you've heard it before. Matthew 28, he said, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He can buy any island he wants. (laughs) He can retire anytime he wants. He said, but here's what's worth fighting for in my life. I want Me, I'm going to do this, and I want you to invest your life in people so that they might be disciples. Now, don't be scared away with that churchy word. All it is is a student, not just of facts, but of a life. He said, I want you to make life students of me, of other people. And he goes on to say, this is what it looks like, baptizing them, and we think it ends there. Baptizing them, drawing them into the Trinitarian life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he goes on to say, training them to actually live out everything I've modeled and taught you. Jesus says, here's what's worth living your life for, pouring your life into. We've got our vision statement. This is our statement of it. Jesus says, help people find hope that God's going to do something in this world and live with purpose. But purpose isn't just flipping burgers. Here's the purpose. It's the Great Commission, right? Here's a way to think about it. Every church will articulate our vision statement in our own language. And I love this one. I I didn't write it. I inherited it. And I love it. I love the language of hope. I love the language of purpose, especially in the town we live in. 
But we don't get to define the purpose. God did. Right? These are our, our words to state it, but Jesus claimed the mission a long time ago. We don't have to make up a mission statement, a vision statement for a church. God already did it. It is to make disciples who make disciples. <laughs> it, it is to invite people to be apprentices of our lives, to grow up in such a way that other people get in on this journey too, right? Jesus says this is worth pouring your life into. But again, partially because it's Labor Day, partially because you know, we're talking about our restatement of that mission. Here's what I love. Throughout Christian history, other followers of Jesus have taken that great commission and said, this is what it looks like in our language. And Paul did it too. Here in Colossians 1, this is, I believe, Paul's great commission statement. So I want to unpack it just a little bit as we think about what our purpose is going to be, not just for this year. I invite you to say, make this the purpose of your life. Now, the first thing he says is, basically, I want you to know, I'm struggling, I'm laboring is the word he uses. I'm doing all this stuff. But here, hear this. Paul says, I'm testifying. It's worth it. Unlike, you know, retiring when you're 30 by an aisle, it's actually worth it to pour your life into this. This is the language he uses in verse 24. He says, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for the cause of the body of Christ. I rejoice in what I'm suffering. And then there's this weird line where he says, I'm filling up in my flesh what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, understand this. We could do a lot with it. We'll just say this quickly. There's nothing insufficient about Jesus' suffering on the cross. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus' suffering on the cross was sufficient. It's just not finished, not the cross. But his suffering for the sake of the mission of God in the world isn't done. Because Paul says here and elsewhere, Jesus is so powerfully identified with his people that when you suffer, he suffers too. Jesus is so powerfully identified with the work of God in the world, and that's not visibly done yet, that he suffers for the cause as you are doing out the mission of Christ. He's suffering for the cause there. Just read through the book of Acts. Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me when the church was being persecuted? Does that make sense? So here's the thing. Paul says, look, I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. What, whatever those weird words mean in here, here's the big picture. Paul says, I don't regret it. It's worth it. I'm doing my part. And I'm pouring my life into it. Uh, remember, there's no commands in this section. It's just Paul testifying. Here's what's worth it to live for. And this is one of the reasons I love that this is a multi-generational church. I love it. We need that. Why? Because we need to hear people's stories and we need to see people's lives. We need people like Paul to say, I've lived a long time, I made a lot of money, I did all this stuff, but let me tell you what's really worth it. We need to hear your stories about this. Paul says it's worth it to do this. So what is it worth it? What is it worth pouring your life into? He mentions two things here at least. First thing he says, look, it's worth it to do this Jesus thing, to go all out for this Jesus thing. Why? Because Paul says we get to tell a secret. We get to tell the secret, his word for it here. It's a technical word in their day here in Scripture. Paul says, I get to declare the mystery of God. That was hidden before, it was a secret before, how God was going to rescue the world. But now it's disclosed, and I get to tell the secret to the whole world. He says it in a couple different ways, but here's the thing. He says, you ready for this? Please hear this. I know it's a church and it's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hear me. He says, the mystery is Christ in you. The hope of the glory of God. When he talks about glory, think of what God did when they used that word to describe it. The glory of the resurrection of Christ. The glory of the creation of Christ. The glory of Jesus' first miracle when he turns the water into wine and they have super abundance. Here's the mystery. 
The power and the presence and the purpose and the mission of the resurrected Christ is in you. Now, here's the thing. I've said this before. You'll hear me say it a thousand times because in America, we get so caught up in individualization that we miss this. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, and here certainly, when Paul says Christ is in you, here's the actual Greek translation. You've heard me say this before. What he says is Christ is in y'all. <laughs> it's plural. Plural here, it's plural in Romans, plural in 2 Corinthians 13, it's plural in Galatians 4. Yes, there's some pastors that say uh, you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true. But most of the time in Scripture, he's saying Christ is in y'all. Christ is in you all. The hope of the resurrection glory of God is present in you. That's worth putting something into for your life. Now, here's the cool thing. It's even bigger than that. Paul says, uh, uh, the mystery is Christ in you. But, but even before that, he says, here's the secret we get to tell, that God is rescuing not just individuals, but the entire world. Again, I've said this before, but we have to push against what we hear so often. We act like the gospel that we get to tell, and again, don't think stained glass word. Gospel is just a word that meant good news. It was not a religious word. The good news the good news we get to tell the world, hear me, this is so important. The good news is not that you get to go to heaven when you die. That is not what we offer the world. We get a lot better than that. You, you want to go to Greek, Greek philosophy and Plato, that's what you can offer the world. By the way, do we get to be in the presence of God when you die? Yes. There's a there paradise moment there. Yes, you better believe it. And that's not the end of the story. In the gospel, the end of the story is resurrection. So God's fixing not just individual people to float away one day. He's fixing everything. So here's the verse, just a couple of verses before the text we just read. I think it's one of the most important passages in the Bible because we've made Christianity into Greek philosophy and think the point is to float away one day. This is the gospel. Hear this. Colossians 1 verse 19, just to go a couple of verses back, 19 and 20. It says, God was pleased... To have all Christ, all of his fullness dwell in Christ. Take this in for a moment. He was pleased to have all of the fullness of God dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. All of the fullness, all of the satisfaction, all of the passion, all of the things that are worth living for dwell in Christ. Now listen to this. And he says, through him to reconcile individual people to float away. That's not what it says. To reconcile. Are you ready for this? All things to him in Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth. Hear me, God is going to rescue the cosmos in Christ, not just individual people. Now, you ready for the secret we get to tell? That God is going to do that in and through you. He's rescuing the world in Christ. And you get to be a part of it. Isn't that glorious? That is worth pouring your life into that we get to tell a secret. The other thing Paul says is we get to give a gift. We get to be people who present a gift. Next slide. And the language here, again, is textual language. Paul says, my goal that I'm laboring for, what is worth laboring for? To present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hear this again. Here is my goal. What is your purpose in life? To present everyone. Three times it says all people. Three times in one little chunk. All people fully mature in Christ. This word present 
is a technical term. It was the word to use that, that was used for an offering. We're coming to present, we're coming to give an offering and a gift to God. You know what the offering is? You. You get to be the offering. And Paul says, my goal is to be part of the gift that God transforms me and I become fully mature. And Paul says, I'm going to labor to the last energy God gives me to make other people available to be fully mature in Christ. In other words, what's our purpose? Is to grow up in Christ and to help other people grow up in Christ. That's why we're on the planet. And so often we made it about getting people into heaven. And remember, think about how this dovetails with the Great Commission. We don't just baptize people. We train them to grow up in Christ, right? You put the next slide up there too. I just want you to see this picture, a simple way to say this. Paul says, I want the power of God. I'm going to do everything with the energy of the power of God to grow up myself and to help other people grow up. I remember one of the first messages I ever heard as a college student. As a freshman, I was sitting in a, in, a, in, in a retreat setting, and the speaker who came said, I want, you to, I want you to remember two things. When you come to the Christian faith, I want you to remember two things. And it's so applicable if you're brand new to Christ, and it's so applicable if you've been walking to Jesus for a long time. He said two things, and I believe this has to be the lifeblood of our church. First of all, he said, listen, it's okay to be a baby. <laughs> Here, this is so important. It's okay to be a baby in Christ. If you come to church and you think, I don't fit in, I don't belong, welcome, you've got a minister who screws up all the time, I'm broken and I'm a mess. It's okay not to be fully grown, it's okay to be a baby in Christ, or to be exactly what age you are in Christ, that's okay. I remember pretty early on, I was doing work as a campus minister in a certain town in West Texas, another school that won't be named, and we were there, and a guy named Cliff came and he was brand new, baby in Christ. I mean, brand new guy. And we had interacted for a little while. And I, there was you know, one of our uh, student worship gatherings. I said, Cliff, would you do the call to worship? It was hilarious. It was awesome. So he gets up, does a little invitation call to worship. He got up and he said, first of all, I have no idea what a call to worship is. <laughs> and he said, secondly, I have no idea why in the world they would ask me to do it. <laughs> and he proceeds to tell them all the reasons why he has no business being up there. And he's broken and he's messed up and he's really honest and raw. I mean, he's really raw. And I loved it. Because it was okay for Cliff to be a baby in Christ. It's okay to be exactly where you are in Christ. And I'm telling you, if I, I believe this while we came here because of this. I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again. Please welcome broken people in this body. First of all, because we're all broken. We're all messed up. We just fake it better than the rest of the world sometimes. Secondly, it's okay to be a baby. Now, this is the thing, though, the second thing that that speaker said I never forgot. Years ago, hear me, it's okay to be a baby. It is not okay to stay one. By the way, don't hear going to hell. Don't hear perfectionism. Don't hear you got to get everything right. But hear this. We are invited to grow up. To become fully mature in Christ. That doesn't mean reading your Bible and quoting Greek all the time. It means look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as we come closer and closer to God, we look more and more like the God who made us. I remember, I think it was John Orkler who came to Lipscomb one time. And he was talking about uh, this kind of idea. And he was telling the story of a guy named Bill who was part of his church. I don't know if that was really his name or not. But he said, here's, here's a problem. There's a guy named Bill. He's, he's gone to church his whole life. He's been in our church his whole life. And he is a bitter and contentious man. 
And in every circumstance of life, not just in church, but outside of church, he causes fights and arguments and he tears people down. He is a bitter man. So it's all right that, you know, he's in the kingdom, he's going to heaven and all that. But he said, here's the failure. It's not even Bill's failure. I never forget this. He said, it's the failure of a church that said, it's okay not to change. Just keep coming. You don't have to change. You don't have to grow up. You don't actually have to grow into the character, the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. It's okay. Just come to church. No, it's not okay to stay a baby. Hear me. That does not mean perfectionism. If you're struggling, I struggle too. Just be real about it. Let's try, seek the power of God to grow up. So of the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to lean into this a little bit more. But here's just two things to think about. Just two challenges, maybe for the semester. First of all, think about, and, and I always say, let, let's let the Holy Spirit apply this lesson. Where does God invite you to grow in your life right now? I don't care if you walk with Jesus for 80 years. You're not fully mature in Christ yet. So where is he inviting you to grow? And here's two simple things to ask. Number one, who is going to help you grow? Because y'all... <laughs> are the body of Christ, and Christ dwells among you all. So you need somebody. So who is it that will help you grow in Christ? Number one, who's going to help you? And number two, who will you help? Because that's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus and not just a church attender. By the way, if you're just a church attender, it's okay. Come on. But if you really want to lean into the joy and the passion, Paul says, I rejoice even when I suffer in the mission of this. Why? Because he was willing to say, I'm going to have other people help me grow, and I want to help somebody else. That sounds really simple. It will transform your life to say, this semester, God, who are you going to put in my life, or who do I need to walk up to and say, can you help me be a better husband, wife, student, friend, follower of Jesus, and who can I do that for somebody else? Now, as we finish up, I want to give you kind of a, a vision, a picture of this vision statement that we have. Um, it's from my friend, Will Baxter. He came and got inducted fully into the glorious, wonderful experience of uh, Aggie football. He's one of my dear friends from Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. Here's what I love about him. He is this guy for me. He answers both of those questions. When we went to our previous church, the first discipleship group I was ever part of, I went to Will and I said, hey, do you want to be a part of a group? And we opened our hearts and our lives, and he was willing to be real in our relationship. I have been changed because of Will Baxter. Secondly, this picture is an example of this. Will, God has used Will to change the lives of other people. One of them is our older son, David. By the way, he surprised us. He's here. <laughs> we didn't know his birthday's tomorrow. And Will came over to visit us. And then who came in the door next was our oldest son. Oh, it's awesome. But here's what's cool. A few years ago, yeah, back in COVID, so we had to wear the crazy mask and all that stuff. But he he said, I'm coaching a basketball team of my son and some other kids. He said, I'd love it if David would coach with me. Now, part of it, David's a crazy good athlete and had a good coaching experience. But Will said, I'd also like to just have him in my life and to bless him. So I wanted Will to give you an example of how God, God has used Will to do that, to be someone who helps me, but he helps other people. But Will has modeled that in the lives of other people. And so I asked if he would share that. By the way, um, some of you, Will Baxter is his name. Some of you have been around Church of Christ for a while, might know he is actually a historical dude. His, uh, great, uh, no, his grandfather is Batsel Barrett Baxter. Some of you are younger, have no idea who that is. Others, this is a great man of God that has, uh, has been, you know, had lived out discipleship for a long time. But what I love is separate from your name, I didn't know, I didn't know who your granddad was. I love you. 
and you're going to be blessed by my brother Will. So please welcome my friend Will Baxter to share a moment with us. Two kinds, man. I've, I have been blessed, as I know you all are, by, by Dean, and so I appreciate you. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Uh, when the Christ in y'all t-shirts get printed, send me one, okay? That is, because people in Tennessee will love that. So, uh, man, I, I just want to share a few minutes about what discipleship looks like, and uh, just there's so much to think about, but the one, the biggest, biggest thing I want you to hear this morning, and I told Dean this earlier when I didn't know he was going to put that picture up. I love that picture because you can't see my face. I thought <laughs> that's a perfect picture of me. Um, but uh, the biggest thing I want you to hear this morning, whether you're in the youth group, you're a college student, you are young parents with with young children that you're raising, you have a busy job and a busy career, and you're going, how do I do discipleship? I'm too young or I'm too busy. You're you're not. There's no excuses. We can all be disciples and make disciples. And so I love this imagery of having someone who is leading us and then also someone who we can help lead. And that's not, uh, it doesn't have to be someone with a ton of Bible education. It doesn't have to be an elder or a minister or somebody like that. Every one of us can do discipleship. And I've seen young people do discipleship really well. And I've got some pictures I think that'll help illustrate that a little bit. So this picture right here, that's my son there on the left. Uh, He's 11 now. This picture was taken almost exactly a year ago. And that is a man sitting in the chair there who is a leader in our church. His name is Alan Gentry. He's very well known in our our town and very well respected. And uh, he's a farmer and he sells pumpkins. You see in the background there's some pumpkins there. And so this is a really busy time of year for him. And so we showed up at his farm one day. My wife works out there a little bit. And so we showed up just to check in on things. And of course, what 10-year-old goes anywhere without a football, right? And so my son's got the football and, and Alan looks at him and says, throw it to me. And he throws it and he, he calls my son over and, he's, and they're throwing it back and forth. And he starts explaining to my son how to throw a football. He starts teaching him how to throw a football. And if you have a 10-year-old or if you've had 10-year-olds who are now 20 or how, right, they don't want you to teach him anything, right? My son doesn't want me to teach him. He doesn't need me to teach him how to throw a football. But as soon as Alan Gentry starts to teach him how to throw a football, he's all ears and he's watching. And, and I'm not very smart and Dean can attest to that, but I have just enough wisdom that when I see Alan start to teach my son how to throw a football, I just backed up. It was a beautiful thing because Alan is one of those who has helped make a disciple out of me. And he's a man of few words, but when he speaks, I'm all ears and I listen. And so to get to see him then do that same thing in my son's life, and they're throwing it while they're teaching how to throw a football, there's something deeper going on there, right? There's a lot more happening there. And so that was a beautiful thing. The next picture is, um, that's a young man named Clark Fry right there. And that is a massive uh, 14-point deer that he shot last, last November in Kansas. And so uh, Clark, when he was about 12 years old, he was in the sixth grade and his dad called me and we'd grown up in, I'd grown up in church with Clark's dad being a leader for me and Clark's dad called and said, hey, I'm not a hunter and Clark wants to hunt, would you take him with you? And I said, of course I'll take him with me. So me and Clark started hunting together when he was 12 and I would have been, you know, my age doesn't really matter. But, um, <laughs> that's right. But, but Clark's been hunting with me for a long, well, he's 12, and, and he, he's now 25. And so when he was in college, I thought, you know, I'd love to go. I'm, we were in Tennessee. I thought I'd love to go hunt in Kansas. I've heard about how big the deer are out there. There's no way that Clark's parents would let him go with me, but I'll just call and say, hey, could Clark go to Kansas with me? And they said, sure, he can go to Kansas with you. I was, Did they hear right what I was asking? 
And so it was awesome last year for Clark to kill a deer far bigger than any that I have killed and to watch him sort of surpass what I've accomplished. But the cool thing is, what in the world does this have to do with discipleship? What's going on here, right? Because for me, when I'm sitting on the edge of the field and the sun comes up or I'm down in a holler and the sun is coming up and nature is waking up, man, God speaks to me there. And God speaks to Clark there. And so we've been able to go hunting and build a relationship that way, but we've been able to do discipleship through that same thing. And now Clark is ready to start passing that on to my son, who I should. So the, the, the really cool thing about discipleship is, and, and a lot of you know this, but anytime you give, I remember there's, there's one more picture if you want to bring it up, of a young man named Cooper Cook. And Cooper is in the youth group at our, or was in the youth group at our church. He's now a freshman in college. But anytime you give, you get back so much more than what you give. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are going, yeah, we've experienced that. And some of you that are younger will experience that. And I would encourage you to give. Our youth minister came to us about five or six years ago and said, we need some life group leaders for our youth group. We have a little, we'll break them up into life groups by grades and stuff. And they said, we need some leaders. And we had a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. And we're going, how do we how do we do this? We've got little kids. We're busy. We're trying to do stuff Sunday nights. not super convenient. But we prayed about it and we thought about it and said, okay, this is something we want to invest in. And my kids, Cooper Cook used to come over when he was in the eighth grade and my kids would crawl all over him and climb all over him. And, um, and he started playing football and he wasn't very good at football in the eighth grade. And I thought, well, he'll find something that he's good at and that he likes. And he's now a, a walk-on at a, at a school in Tennessee as a lineman. And he also, not only that, but, but Cooper, I've seen him pancake a lot of people on the football field, and I know he would do the same thing for my children. And so my son that you saw earlier, he would be there. And so that's been a gift to me, where we gave this gift thinking, well, we can do a little bit. And, and he's part of the family now. So um, really incredible for us just to be blessed in that way. And to, to do discipleship without having to do some great thing. And, and the, the one thing I talked about in the, the other service this morning is discipleship is not always, and this is what I thought it was when I was younger. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, what's discipleship? I'd have said, well, you sit down at a table and you get out the Bible and you get the other person or people to sit down and you talk about Jesus. And that has its place in discipleship, right? I mean, that certainly has its place. And I've gotten to do that with Clark and with Alan Gentry, with the pictures of people I've shown, we've certainly sat around and talked about Jesus. But discipleship, the biggest part of it is just doing things you're already doing and intentionally drawing people in and letting them see how you live. My mom taught me a long time ago that actions speak louder than words. She didn't always tell me how to be a Christian. She showed me by the way she lived how to be a Christian. And so it means when I'm ready to coach a basketball team, hey, David Barron would be great at this. How can he help me? Uh, and then we end up driving the other day. We're, we're driving from Houston out here to College Station, and we're just talking about life. And that is discipleship right there. He's teaching me things. I'm teaching him things. And it's all centered on God. It's all centered on our faith. We're growing up together. I love that we can help each other. The people in front of me, Alan Gentry called me the other day, wanting me to pray about something. I'm going, man, he needs me to pray for him. Wow, how, how cool is that? And so we get to be on both sides of it and experience both sides of it. And God blesses us tremendously through all of it. So my, my biggest thing I want you to hear this morning, if you're going, oh, I, I can't be a disciple maker. You certainly are disciple makers. We've got a room full right here of disciple makers. And I'm, I, I'm just like you. I'm thankful that, uh, that Dean invited me just to share some stories and some pictures of what it's looked like in my life 
It's not because I'm a great person who's got it all together, right? I'm a flawed man. I've just been blessed and I've learned that, in fact, I want to share one scripture with you. And then Dean's going to come up and do communion. But uh, we, we were looking at this scripture, Philippians chapter 2, a couple weeks ago. And I thought, wow, I've read this, I don't know how many times, but there's something so cool here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. To wrap it up with one last thought on that verse, and then I'll give it back to you. You talked earlier about a life, man, I could hopefully get enough money to buy an island and retire, but life is so much richer when we invest in others. And that's what Paul's talking about right here in Philippians 2. Consider others better than yourselves. So thank you for letting me come. Thank you for welcoming my friend, but also for modeling this for year after year after year. We have a purpose that is worth living for, to be disciples that make disciples. And now we have the opportunity to come to the table and practice it. When we participate in communion, I've said this before, it's not just a box that we check to make sure we did everything right in church. We are actually embodying the very thing that we just heard. Jesus said, Paul said, the mystery is Christ in you all, the hope of glory. And you literally take the Christ in. The representation of the body and blood is, is not just, oh, isn't it sweet to be in Jesus? As we take the life of God in, it is a commitment to go out of this place and live that mission out. Christ is in us, so we go live out the purpose and the mission of the Christ everywhere we go. Father God, we pray a blessing over these elements, the bread and the cup that we are about to participate in. We thank you so much that you have invited us into the life that has always existed between you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you so powerfully work in us that even despite our brokenness and flaws, you send us in the world to invite other people into that experience as well. Father, as we take of these elements, let it be a prayer not just to receive it, but for us to grow up into it and then live that out as we invite other people into that experience as well. Thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One prayer, both elements. Please partake. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. 
So glad you've been here this morning and uh, been in this time of talking about the Lord and his purpose and his love for us. So um, we're blessed by you being here. Have a great week. Charles is going to come and Lori and dismiss us um, after this. Thanks. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> I get to talk to you about something relatively terrifying. Porn and sexual brokenness is rampant in our society. Um, we don't talk about it very much, and I'd like to say that, you know, as, as a church or as, as a Christian gathering, we're immune to this, but we're not. Right here with us in this room are people that in the last 24 hours have acted out, but we don't talk about it. Um, we act like it's something new, like, like the internet has made it somehow worse, and maybe it's different, but 
there's a reason prostitution is called the oldest profession. It's been around forever. Sexual brokenness is rampant in our society, and it always has been. It's always been an issue for God's people. My name is Charles. I'm an elder at this congregation, and I'm a porn addict. Um, I spent years, decades, listening to Satan's lies. I could sit and listen to a sermon like we all just heard and sit in these very pews and believe Satan's lies. Things like, I'm alone in my suffering. I'm beyond hope. There is no redemption for me. God either can't or won't help me because I've begged him and here I am and I can't tell anyone because either they won't understand or they'll just leave. Um, I'm the modern day equivalent of a leper, social outcast. And those are, let's be real, those are lies from Satan. And I'm telling you this for a reason, because I have learned there is hope. Our God is still active. Our God still works miracles. And he's changing lives right now. You know, like we just heard about, it's okay to be broken. But we don't have to stay broken. And so, <laughs> sorry, I'm not crying. It's the 12 cups of coffee. I lead a nine-month study called Seven Pillars. We're starting a week and a half from now. It's a study for men who struggle with sexual purity, who struggle with sexual brokenness. And we go through some really difficult lessons for nine months. And it's an amazing discovery process that God can use to bring healing in your life. So if you're sitting there in these pews like I did for many, many years, thinking that you're by yourself and that you're struggling with this all alone, that's a lie. There is hope for you. There is help for you. So look it up. Uh, it's on the app. Matter of fact, you can call me. I just happen to be the elder on call this week. So if you open up the app and look at the family update, scroll down past the order of worship, and there's my name, Charles Vesperman. There's my phone number. Call me. Text me. I'm not great at returning, but I do get around to it eventually. And the really beautiful thing about this is that it's not just me. There's a reason she's up here. This is my wife, Lori. I'll let you talk. Um, I know sitting next to the men that Charles just um, spoke to are women. And they may be spouses. They may be girlfriends. They may be moms who don't know or maybe moms who do and I just want to tell you personally there is hope for you as well I lead a complimentary study called betrayal and beyond for women who are um, spouses usually are the women that show up in my group but if you're not a spouse come talk to me and I'll um, help direct you to some resources but women who have been broken by sexual addiction of their spouses and there is hope for us as well. And we are doing this ministry now. This will be our fourth year because we feel like God, first of all, has redeemed us. He has restored us. Our relationship, our marriage is different than it was 10, 12 years ago. Our relationship with our children is different than it was 10 or 12 years ago. And by different, I mean amazingly better. 
and uh, in a place that we never thought God would bring us. And so this is all about what God is doing, what he has done and is continuing to do in our relationship.